Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning, and welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I am your co-host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and our topic today is fall in love with your practice. Spiritual teachers from many traditions urge us to have a regular meditation practice, and now even healthcare providers, physicians are giving patients the same advice. As anyone who has tried to put this wise advice into practice has experienced, it can be a challenge. In order to keep our meditation practice steady and strong, we need to find find ways to fall in love with it over and over again. And today we have a wonderful opportunity to talk with a person who is uh, well known to the Yoga Hour listeners, our, our regular host and director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Uh, Yogacharya is, is um, as I mentioned, uh, known to most of our listeners, I believe, and is an internationally acclaimed spiritual teacher, author, poet, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a Kriya Yoga Meditation Center with headquarters in San Jose, California. Yogacharya teaches nationally and internationally, has received several community service awards, including the 2015 Mahatma Gandhi Award for the promotion of religious pluralism. You can find out more about her writings at her website, ellengraceobryan.com, and see her teaching schedule at the CSE website, csecenter.org. Welcome, Yogacharya O'Brien or Umaji. I'm delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Dr. Trujillo. It's really fun to be in conversation with you on Yoga Hour and have you uh, lead the way. I'm, I'm delighted to have this format uh, to be together. So before we dive into our dialogue about falling in love with your practice, let's start with a moment of practicing what we're about to talk about, a moment of meditation, a yoga moment. Oh. Let's begin by just bringing our attention to the present moment, here and now. And let's start with our bodies and just being aware of our bodies in space, feeling what supports us. So whether we're sitting and feeling a chair, feeling the places that our body rests on the chair, or perhaps we're walking, 
our feet are on the ground, but just feeling our bodies in space. And then bringing our attention to that wonderful tool that's always with us, bringing our attention to our breath and just noticing as we inhale and exhale, just noticing the natural flow of the breathing, not trying to change it, feeling the cool air in the nostrils when we inhale and the warm air flowing out. As we pay attention to our breath, we allow it to draw our attention within. And just feeling that we are resting within. Following our breathing and resting within. And as we rest within, feeling that connection to our higher true self. Feeling that connection to supreme consciousness, to that one reality. Feeling that connection to all. And resting there, resting in that core of our being Resting in the source and substance of all that is. Feeling it to be within us, between us and all around us. And as we rest there, we may notice thoughts or feelings as they arise. And realize we can watch them. Watch them as they arise and watch them as they pass away. Just resting in those qualities of that oneness, that peace, that connection. And allowing that peace to pervade the mental field the emotional nature and the physical body. Imagining that even at a cellular level, we can open up and feel that peace. Abiding in that peace we realize we can bring it with us, that it's what Yogananda described as a portable piece. We can take it with us into our day and share it with all we meet.
So once again, Yogacharya Umaji, it's delightful to have you back on the Yoga Hour. And I always enjoy opening our conversations with one of your poems. Would you read one for us, please? Oh, sure. I'm delighted to do that. I'm going to read some poems in our program this morning from um, my latest book of poetry that's called The Moon Reminded Me. And um, there are quite a few poems about meditation in this book. This one is called Satsanga, the Sanskrit word that refers to, it means a truth gathering, like a gathering, being in holy company, um, those, come, those who come together for spiritual study and practice. Um, and so this is about coming together for spiritual practice. You can think of it as meditation. In the late afternoon, wind and redwoods get together to talk about the ocean. In the late afternoon, wind and redwoods get together to talk about the ocean. They are remembering mist that arrived before dawn. Call it mana or grace. The trees make a vow to stand all night so they won't miss it. So of course, you know, for me, this this poem is about the the vow that we have um, to meditate regularly, uh, so that we don't miss that nourishing presence um, that permeates our life. I, I live near the coast in Santa Cruz, California, and you know that's where the redwoods are, and the redwoods receive um, their nourishment, their um, uh, their hydration from the coastal fog. That's why you see them growing along the coast. And and there is something that happens every afternoon here about four o'clock. The the wind comes up and the uh, the the redwood trees move and you can hear them. And so, of course, for me as a poet walking amongst the redwoods, it's just like they're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I thought about how, of course, the trees are such a beautiful um, image for meditation because they're so steady and they, they stand, even though they move. You know, there's this stillness in the presence of a tree. And, uh, and this whole metaphor of um, taking in nourishment from the atmosphere. So when we meditate, we take in nourishment from that uh, spiritual atmosphere, but it requires uh, that we have a vow to, to, you know, that we take that stand to be present. Absolutely. And I, I really love that image of the redwood trees taking a vow to be there and be awake all night to mm -hmm. feel that, no, so that they don't miss it. I, I just mm -hmm. love that. That's beautiful. So one of the things I love about poetry is that it really can cut straight to the heart, really can bring us straight to our hearts, um, cutting through thought and distraction and often provides an aha moment and also is a, is a wonderful source of inspiration. So given that our topic today is falling in love with your practice, um, I wanted to to touch a moment on the role of inspiration in falling in love with your practice. So to me, falling in love with our practice means keeping our practice alive and thriving rather than having it become rote. So why is it important to fall in love with our practice? 
Well, I, I think that um, one of the main things is that we're we're not going to meditate <laughs> unless um, unless we have a strong vow and to do it, and unless we somehow, you know, are um, experiencing breakthroughs in our practice and we're experiencing. Um, higher pleasure, peace, or bliss. And um, one of the things I think is important to know about having a long-term practice is that it is very natural um, that there will be dry periods. So, you know, I, that caught me by surprise as a newcomer on the path. You know, I, I had so much enthusiasm in the beginning. I was so excited about everything I was learning. And um, I had some strong experiences early on. I mean, well, just learning how to uh, quiet the mind <laughs> was a strong experience. But, you know, beyond that, also just some you know, some, as they say, you know, intimations of immortality, you know, like just a glimpse of, oh, that's the truth of what I am. So I was having some beautiful experiences, which um, even Yoga Sutra Patanjali says, you know, some initial experiences that you have will encourage you. And uh, so early on, most people have that, or many people do. But then it's very common to go through a time where nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. And um, then you you kind of try to settle into your life, your routine, and you find that it's difficult to keep meditation in the forefront of your commitments. You know, the world sort of edges in there and um you know so it's like okay well i'll meditate later and then later never comes and so um that is why it's important to do whatever you know we are inclined to do to keep our practice um fresh and nourishing finding ways um to keep it ever new mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, you described it as, um, you know, these dry spells. And, and I think that's, that's an interesting, you know, uh, metaphor, it's an interesting way to describe it. Certainly, I've experienced that. And in a way, falling in love is trying to keep it juicy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> even totally. in those even in those times when it's, uh, when it feels dry. You know, mm-hmm. when there may not be, you know, much uh, going on. So we started with a poem and I talked about inspiration and how I find, you know, poetry really inspirational. So what is the role of inspiration in helping us fall in love with our practice? Well, I think wherever you are on the spectrum of, you know, different kinds of yoga practice, you know, those who are more emotionally inclined, um, more, you know, heart oriented um, are probably the ones who are going to, you know, find poetry to be an inspiration or um, chanting those devotional practices. But mm-hmm. but those who are um, leading with the intellect and discernment and, you know, looking, f- you know, examining the nature of consciousness and, and looking um, in that way, <clears throat> will also find, you know, study to be an inspiration. So mm-hmm. study of scripture, study of the lives of the mystics, you know, all of that. So um, no matter what the approach, you know, whether you're um, using your, you know, your heart or your faculty of discernment, um, staying plugged in um, to topics related to meditation can, can just be a helpful reorienting tool. 
No, that's great. And, and it's wonderful that you expanded it by saying, of course, not just, you know, spiritual poetry, but obviously, you know, scripture and, um, you know, lives and writings of, of uh, uh, the saints, whatever your, you know, whatever, whoever they might be in your tradition. Um, so what we're talking about when we talk about falling in love with your practice um, is really how to keep our meditation practice steady and strong. So in the, in the first chapter of the Yoga Sutras, uh, we read that meditation becomes stable by devoted, persistent practice. So what does it mean to have a devoted, and I should mention that's from, that's from uh, uh, Raging Davis's uh, translation of Yoga Sutra 114. Um, so what does it mean to have a devoted, persistent practice? Well, it, it means, of course, to have a steady practice, to have a daily practice, and um, to, have, to have a steady routine. You have to remember that the goal of meditation is to clarify the mental field. And so if our practice is not steady, if the, um, the timing of our practice, we're just kind of fitting it in here and there, um, or if we're... Um, you know, infrequent in our practice, or if we're using all different kinds of techniques, then that causes the mind um, to be unsteady as well. So the unsteadiness in the practice is contributes to unsteady mind, and uh, and it's very hard to meditate with an unsteady mind. So having a consistent, persistent practice is one of the ways that we contribute to calming the mind and. You know, if you look at the lives of yoga masters, um, you see uh, generally the you know the ones that I have uh, had the privilege to know and to observe, their practice and actually their lifestyle is very disciplined and very steady. And um, this is not because they are rigid, but because they understand the relationship of um, this steadiness, a calm life, um, a disciplined life to having a clear mind and then, you know, being able to be, um, have your energy liberated, you know, for the things that, that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we should also touch on, you know, so why is it important for our meditation to become stable, Right. You know, we don't meditate, you know, for the sake of meditation, you know, but for self and God realization, right? Yeah, that and that has to do, of course, with, as I was saying, the mind becoming calm. So that, you know, classic definition of yoga is that, you know, when the mental field becomes clear and calm or sattvic, uh, becomes luminous, um, then the... Uh, reality of the essential essential self is revealed so you know that's what happens in super conscious meditation and um, that's what we're looking for and that's what a steady practice um, contributes to so that's that's not just a steady practice it's also an intentional practice so it's knowing why you meditate you know as you mentioned it's important to um, meditate you know not just for the sake of meditation itself, although that can bring some benefit, but uh, for for yogis, people on the path of of yoga, um, there's there's understanding what the goal of of practice uh, actually is, and um, and and that how steady practice uh, contributes to that. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I read uh, the translation of uh, Sutra 114, uh, which talks about the meditation part of it, but um, 112, which is right before that, you know, talks about the two essentials, you know, so that having this steady meditation practice is one, and then the other one is um, is dispassion, right? Can you mm-hmm. say a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. That <clears throat> I mean, we we come back to the goal in in yoga meditation is um, is purifying the mental field. Um, so that the mind is not disturbed by thought activity or, you know, which is called vrittis, the modifications in the mind, so that the um, light or the uh, the conscious awareness of the essential self is revealed. So <clears throat> the, that particular sutra is is telling us, you know, we through this regular steady practice of meditation, we learn how to bring our attention within to be anchored in that essential self, how to learn to observe, you know, the mind and learn through that, that we're not the mind because we can observe it. Right. So we, we learn that anything that we can observe, you know, we, we must not be that. Um, right. So that is, uh, you know, a gift of meditation practice. And then the part two that potentially gives us is mm, this detachment is learning, you know, how not to let your attention and awareness become too distracted, um, being caught up in in externals. And um, so it basically says, okay, here's one way you you learn how to pull your attention within be anchored within and the other way is you is you learn i like to say is learning how to be cool you know you <laughs> in the best sense of the word you know not yeah. cold but cool you you learn how to um you, you know flow uh through the world um paying attention being aware um but not becoming overly involved mhm mhm Oh, that's really, that's beautiful. So um, we have time here, another few minutes before the break, and I wanted to give you a chance to share another poem with us. I'd love to hear one. Okay, great. I'll, um, I think I'll share this poem about mantra, since we're talking about um, meditation practice, and mantra is one of the primary tools in the yoga tradition for practicing meditation. And of course, mantra is... Um, you know, using a mantra helps uh, occupy uh, the thinking mind, which tends to wander. So we we anchor um, our concentration, our attention on a mantra, so that the mind, uh, the attention doesn't wander, and the mantra then steadies the mind. It also, of course, purifies the mental field. Um, but initially, it's this tool for concentration, so the attention doesn't wander. So again, this is a metaphor that showed up for me when I I was uh, traveling in India in a village. And uh, in the village, they they didn't have you know storefronts, but they had sort of these spontaneous um, carts um, of vegetables and goods that would appear every morning 
um, along the sides of the streets that you would walk down. And that was a, kind of like a farmer's market, you know, a, a, a spontaneous um, marketplace. Um, and I noticed um, with one vendor that, you know, his, his donkey had pulled the cart into the marketplace, but he, of course, had to have his donkey there by his side. And, you know, donkeys are, are known to wander around and munch on things. And there, <laughs> there was nothing to tie this donkey too there's no you know there's no structure there they're just parked on the village lane with their carts and so there's a very ingenious way that they had of simply tying the front legs of the donkey together so the donkey couldn't really he was tied to himself and he couldn't really go anywhere but he you know could stay there next to his um, master so Uh that reminded me of mantra and how we restrain our wandering attention with mantra so that is what this poem is. Uh, that's what uh, inspired this poem called Mantra. To keep his donkey close, the merchant ties its front legs together. Now it cannot wander. This donkey can be trusted near his neighbor's carrots. The merchant is free to work all day without worry. At dusk, He unties this tendency to wander, and together they go home. I tie the mischief of my mind with the rope of your name. It's dusk, and I'm waiting for you. Untie the knot. Let's go home. Wow, that's just so beautiful. And thanks for that explanation about the about the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course the end of the poem, you know, is about the mystical experience. Yes. Untying the knot is untying the um, the resistance uh, in in the heart or um, to the complete experience of of merging and going home is that you know super conscious experience. So it's a prayer. Um, then I tie the mischief of my mind with the rope of your name. It's dusk. I'm waiting for you. Untie the knot. Let's go home. Mm, that's beautiful. And with that, we've come to the close of this first segment. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, and I'm joined by Yogacharya O'Brien, host and director of the show. You can find out more about Yogacharya's books on her website, ellengraceobrien.com and find out more about her teaching schedule at the website csecenter.org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about the different ways there are to fall in love with your practice. We'll be right back. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. If you're looking to deepen your spiritual journey, Unity Magazine is your go-to source for information and inspiration. It's been beautifully redesigned and packed with interesting articles and compelling interviews from today's spiritual thought leaders. You'll find science, spirituality, and healing with a look at Eastern philosophies, meditation, as well as completely new ways to interpret the Bible. Plus, reviews on the latest spiritual books and music. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Tune in to Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the show, and I'm joined today by regular host, as well as spiritual teacher, author, and poet, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Yogacharya's award-winning book of poetry published last year is The Moon Reminded Me. In 2017, she also published a book of inspirations for spiritually conscious living called 
Living for the Sake of the Soul. And once again, you can find those books and find out more about her writings and her blog at her website, Ellen Grace O'Brien. And that's O'Brien with an A, O-B-R-I-A-N dot com. So, Yogacharya, Yumaji, let's get back to our discussion about falling in love with your practice. There's so much rich guidance in the Yoga Sutras. The sage Patanjali who compiled these concisely presented spiritual concepts about 2000 years ago, recognized as we have been discussing as anyone who has tried to meditate regularly, uh, Patanjali recognized that there are obstacles to meditation practice, that these happen and he listed them. So these he, uh, he listed as obstacles to meditation are illness, doubt, carelessness or negligence, laziness, confusion, non-abstention or addictions, attachments, failure to make progress, and distraction of attention. (laughs) Whenever I read these, it just strikes me. It's quite a list. And I have probably experienced most of these obstacles. And that that is um, the translation of uh, Yoga Sutra 130 is from both Raging Davis and Baba Haridas. So can you tell us more about these obstacles and, and what we can do to overcome them? I think it's it's good to anticipate them for one thing and to not be surprised, you know, when we have them. Um, some people read that sutra and think, um, well, if I have any of those things, then I can't meditate. But that that's not the meaning of that sutra. It's, it's simply that um, these will arise um, in the physical body or in the mental field, and they can all be um, dealt with. And um, generally, as a general rule, it's just sort of you look at what those obstacles are, and the antidote to them is to cultivate the opposite of what the obstacle is. So, um, you know, it's interesting that he starts the list with with illness, um, you know, stress in the physical body, basically. And it gives you some insight into why yogis have, you know, such um, an emphasis on taking care of the body. Um, because uh, as one of my Swami friends said, you know, you know, take care of it because your body is your is your vehicle for enlightenment, and um, so yogis hold it in that way, and they don't um, ideally, you know, um, ignore the body's needs, and they don't give it too much attention either. You know, so it's that balance to where. Um, you know you're a spiritual being, but your uh, body is your vehicle in this lifetime, so you take care of it. Um, I was going to say that most of these obstacles, you know, in, in yoga, there's the, the teaching about the three um, qualities of nature, the quality of luminosity, or sattva, the quality of heaviness or darkness, tamas guna, and this quality of uh, activity or restlessness, rajas guna. And so those qualities are always at play in our life. You know, they 
the, they influence the body, the mind, the environment. And uh, when you practice yoga, the goal is always to be cultivating this uh, peaceful quality of luminosity and bringing more of that into your life, into your experience. And, and as I was talking earlier, having a regular steady practice contributes to peace, to quiet, to luminosity, um, as opposed to... Um, you know, distraction of attention, um, uh, you know, failure to make progress is like not having a steady um, carelessness, negligence. Um, that contributes to restlessness, which is a quality of Rajas Guna. So when we look at the obstacles, the obstacles are, you know, outpicturing of these qualities of restlessness or heaviness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're one or, one or the other, that, that those have come into ascendancy um, in our experience. So either restlessness or heaviness, um, inertia. So um, having a lifestyle that is more sattvic, that is more peaceful, that is more steady, um, that is more uplifting, um, all of those things in our choices of food and entertainment and how we deal with our time, how we deal with our energy, all those things are going to contribute to um, keeping the obstacles at bay. Um, otherwise, you have the rise of restlessness um, with Rajas Guna, which you know is distraction of attention, confusion, carelessness, doubt. You know those are all related to Rajas Guna, and then uh, Thomas Guna. You know confusion, uh, addiction, attachments, um, and so on and so forth. Mm. That's actually really helpful. I, I, I really appreciate that, you know, tying it back to the to the three gunas. And then it gives us something else to be aware of in our self-study. You know, when these things arise is, you know, realizing, oh, you know, this this obstacle, you know, to my practice is coming more from either rajas or tamas. And then being able to look at our lives to see, well, what other things are we doing that are contributing to those, mm-hmm. you know, obstacles. So that's helpful. Exactly. We really have to, um, you know, meditation is not just something that we sit down and do. It's it's really a meditative uh, life, uh, a way of living. So we can't, you know, have a, a rajasic lifestyle where we're running, running, running all the time, you know, consuming um just with all this restless energy and then expect our meditation uh, to counterbalance that. You know, I mean, it will to a certain um, extent, but also the way that we live will affect our meditation. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So one of the ones that was interesting to me is failure to make progress as an obstacle. So it raises the question, how then can we look for progress in our meditation practice? Well, we look for, you know, progress in the way that we're living, (laughs) Um, you know, just having a steady practice um, over time clarifies the mental field and, you know, we become more peaceful and we notice some improvement in our relationships because we're not so reactive. Um, We notice improvements in our health because we we make better choices with a clarified mind. So, you know, we look for progress um, in in those um, 
in those in those ways and the um so it's helpful to to look at our life and not just you know try to pick our practice apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I yeah. like I, I've been inspired by the Catholic monk uh, Father Thomas Keating, and uh, and and he wrote about um, you know he was the one who introduced meditation to Catholics all over the world, calling it centering prayer. Um, so sort of a stealth way of introducing meditation to um, to to Catholic practicing Catholics and he he really had a lovely way of saying um, your time of centering prayer in it is your time of just showing up, you know, for whatever it is that God has in mind for you at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and Paramahansa Yogananda said, you know, make a daily appointment with God and keep it. And so when we, we think of that, I think it can release us from this idea, you know, especially in the West, I, I don't know about other parts of the world, but we tend to be so goal oriented, you know, so we meditate and we're looking for something to happen. So while we need to be in intentional about our practice and not just sit and let the mind drift um and father thomas wasn't saying that either because he had he used um prayer very much like we use mantra with yoga so it it in a sense just to center the attention but then just be open and and in a sense uh, just allow the divine reality to reveal itself to to do you know whatever is is going to be the peak experience for that occasion and i found that attitude so refreshing and i think it's a key one you know as we talk about falling in love with your practice it's really a sense that the time can be nurturing for you if you just sit and you're open to whatever is going to be revealed and you have a sense of um, your higher power, your connection to absolute reality or God, however you think of that, that during that time, you're, you're in a sense in the ancient way saying, here I am, Lord, here I am. And, uh, it, it can be a very deeply nourishing experience. Mm. Uh, that's really lovely. And, and also it strikes me as practicing the two things we were talking about in the first segment. And not only are you practicing your steady meditation practice, but you're also not being attached to a particular thing, you know, that's going to happen, but that openness that you talked about, just being open to the highest, you know, experience that can happen at that moment. And also knowing that if nothing happens that you that you that you think is you know spectacular at all, it's mm-hmm. also being open to nothing that you perceive happening, right. and having faith that your showing up is your commitment to your relationship with the infinite, and whatever you know is right for you is actually occurring at the spiritual level of your being and so it's like an underground stream that's Mm -hmm. flowing and you you may not be aware 
at the level of mentally cognizing, you know, something is occurring, something's changing in my life, I'm, I'm becoming a better human being. You, you don't have to have any of that. You just, in a sense, need faith to understand that there is this relationship with the infinite and meditation is a way that we honor that, we honor ourselves and that every time we do, there is there is something that goes on, but whether or not that something that goes on is something that we have um, a cognition of or we have an experience of, it doesn't matter because it's what we're looking for is spiritual, which is beyond thought and beyond mm-hmm. emotion. And uh, so it's helpful to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit in the um, first segment about how not everybody is going to fall in love with their practice in the same way. Uh, and yoga recognized that or recognizes that not everyone is the same. And so there are these four paths of yoga. And you talked about a couple of them, you know, in the in the beginning, um, you know, uh, can you give us a brief overview of them and then talk about how someone from each of those temperaments might, again, you know, fall in love with their practice in a different way? Well, the main paths of yoga are delineated, uh, you know, according to, as you say, temperament types. But of course, none of us is, um, you know, purely one temperament type. So we're we're all a mixture with with one that seems to be um, perhaps predominant, and that even changes over time. You know, those who are on the path of yoga for some time experience um, this is like going to another country, you know, visiting <laughs> another another country. So you may identify yourself as a bhakti uh, yogi, um, where you are um, there's sort of leading with your heart, <clears throat> with the felt sense, with the emotion to where, excuse me, perhaps, um, you know, you're someone who enjoys poetry or chanting, worship, you know, bringing flowers um, or offerings uh, to your altar in the morning when you worship. So those are things that are natural to people who are leading with uh, their emotional nature. And then the jnana yogis, those who are... Um, uh, walk the path of discernment you know they're walking the path of inquiry you know who am i what is this ultimate reality you know they're they're likely to find inspiration through study study of scripture and uh you know reading the the lives of illumined um, sages who will reveal their experiences you know of of study um so they're practicing the path of inquiry and then those who are um active types are going to be involved in service um for them it's it's a matter of coming to um understand this higher reality as the doer of all and learning how to let go of the ego um through the offerings of service, not uh, erasing the sense of I, um, 
or coming into communion with the the true I, <laughs> the one reality. Mm-hmm. And um, the Raja Yogis are uh, ones who appreciate the step-by-step methodology. And of course, um, many people come to the path of meditation through Raja Yoga. This is a very traditional step-by-step path of how to meditate. Um, you know, through practicing um, uh, pranayam and uh, learning how to focus attention and learning what samadhi is and so forth. So, you know, there's those um, those four main paths. But as I say, um, you know, we generally include elements of all the paths. And as a Kriya Yogi, that is uh, often been called, Kriya Yoga has often been called the path of integration because we have all the elements in Kriya Yoga. We have devotion, um, we have this path of discernment and inquiry, we have service and uh, surrender uh, to God, and we have the elements of Raja Yoga in a systematic uh, practice. Mm, absolutely. So when we talk about falling in love uh, with our practice, um, if you recognize yourself in one of those descriptions of the different types of yoga, or perhaps, you know, as you said, um, Umaji, there's, you know, there's part of them in each of us. So whichever one's kind of coming to the fore, you could, um, in when you hit one of these dry spells in your practice, you could uh, go back to that and Um, you know, get an idea from the list that you just gave of a way to fall in love with your practice. Or you can also look to one of the other paths that perhaps you haven't, you know, explored more recently, you know, so perhaps um, if uh, you're already putting flowers on your altar, and you have a bhakti temperament, you might maybe want to try to read you know, about the life of a saint and mm. uh, have that experience. Um, and one of the more subtle things that, that we haven't talked about that is really um, quite useful, I was thinking of um, <clears throat> Lahiri Mahashaya, um, the guru of uh, Sri Yukteswar, um, who said in our meditation practice, we should learn to attend to prana. And um, and he was talking about the life force, the subtle life force. And so sometimes, you know, we can become so um, rote with our technique that we're not paying attention to the subtle shifts of energy in in the practice. So <clears throat> if we learn how to um, tune into this pathway of energy um, that moves up the shashumna, the, um, the subtle path pathway for vital force, you know, moving through all the chakras. Um, Sometimes the prana itself will teach about interiorization, meaning that you'll, you'll become aware of your energy being centered, you know, perhaps at the heart, the throat, or the third eye, or the crown. And so it's important not to become distracted by your own techniques <laughs> you know so yes, right. you, you might be um doing pranayam or you might be you know chanting a mantra but here then that the prana the energy is is blooming you know at one of the spiritual centers and it's much easier if you just let go and you follow your own um prana your own energy that is uh kind of showing you where to put your attention and, and go ahead and go with it mm. Yeah, great. So 
Um, we're coming toward the close of the show, and I definitely wanted to have uh, time for another poem. So um, why don't we have another poem? <laughs> All right. So this one is called um, Ishwara Pranidhan, which is um, one of the steps of Kriya Yoga, which means um, devotion to God or surrender to God, um, surrendering surrendering the false uh, sense of ego identity, somehow the idea that we are... Uh, we have an independent existence that we're separate from the source and teachings of yoga say no there's just one reality and everything including you is an expression of that so this is really about uh, remembering that and having this uh, surrendered uh, devotional attitude in life and um, a key to that is the longing that we feel in our heart um, to connect so this poem is called Ishwara Pranidhan. The ocean does not argue with the rock. It goes where it will, telling the secret again, then again, to the slow-moving cliffs, prayers written in moss, answered at dawn. Listen for the secret be a jagged edge falling in love one salty kiss at a time. Be a jagged edge falling in love one salty kiss at a time. See yourself as the shore longing to dive in. See yourself as the wave returning home again. Mm. That's so beautiful. I love that line, you know, falling in love one salty kiss at a time. <laughs> yeah. Great. And of course, the, this poem was inspired by, you know, I like to walk along the ocean cliffs. And one day I went out there and there had this huge rock that was kind of a little bit offshore. I mean, really a big rock, like a little tiny mountain, you know, that the birds would roost on and everything. And one day I went out there after a storm and the whole thing was gone. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought, oh, you know, that's that's just uh, to me, it was just that metaphor for, you know, falling into the ocean, this sense of separate, you know, there was no separate um, cliff and it it had been kissed by the ocean during the storm and completely disappeared. Mm -hmm. So we have just about a minute. And. I will let you have the last word. What advice, little little sutra of advice, would you give to people about a falling in love with their practice? My sutra is uh, never let your pause um, become a conclusion. <laughs> so, mm. in other words, sometimes you know it's it's common that you know we we will have an interruption to our practice, you know, you're traveling or you, you, you don't feel well, or, you know, uh, there are 10,000 things that can happen that can become an interruption. And so we need to see it simply as a pause and allow us, you know, to come back to our practice. So you can expect that even if you have a steady practice that from time to time, there will be an interruption. But if you, if you think, you know, well, I no longer have a steady practice and then you allow that, you know, to continue 
um, you'll you'll fall away from your practice. So let an interruption be, a, you know, a pause and not a stop. Mm, beautiful. And with that, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour, and we've been discussing Fall in Love with Your Practice with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, founder, director, and host of the Yoga Hour. Yogacharya is an internationally acclaimed spiritual teacher, author, poet, and the founder and spiritual director of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. She has been sharing poetry with us today from her book, The Moon Reminded Me. Another recent book is Living for the Sake of the Soul, and you can find out more about her books and writings at ellengraceobrien.com. You can find out more about her teaching schedule at the CSE website, csecenter.org. Thank you so much, Yogacharya O'Brien Umaji, for joining us today on the Yoga Hour. It's really my pleasure. I enjoy um, being able to be in conversation and want to thank all the listeners um, for being with us and send my um, prayers and blessings your way. Also let you know that if you're listening in real time, I will be at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment this Sunday for Satsang at 10 a.m. and then again at 1 in the afternoon. So I'll look forward to being with you. And real time means today, October 11th. So um, the Yoga Hour is a service project for the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, obviously, the person we've had on today, regular host, founder, and director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes and Sean Smith, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again while Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you, Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 